0: Well, good morning, Christchurch. Good morning, Christchurch online as well. It's hard to believe it's just two weeks uh, since Christmas Day, Boxing Day. The lights are down. The decorations are packed away. Well, not quite in our house, but they are down. Uh, And it's that rather, well, certainly this week when I was preparing, it was that rather chilly January feeling. And yet we come to 2022, wishing one another a happy new year. Many saying, well, we hope this one will be a good one. And we, the baptized people of God, may speak in that same wishful way. And yet we know that there is more, don't we? What if this year, this January, today, this day, a new epiphany for you and for me? Epiphany, of course, being that Greek word, meaning appearance or manifestation of the glory of God. What about that for us today? Because at Christmas, we hear those words, the true light, the light that gives light to everyone, has come into the world. Well, in today's gospel passage that Mel has just read for us, The light that was shining in Jesus broke out into the world. And today, what if our prayer is this? Father God, let that same light break out in me. Amen. Well, in his gospel, Matthew takes two chapters to cover the accounts of Jesus' birth. Then between chapters 2 and 3, the one we had today, there are 30 years of silence. Jesus presumably worked in Nazareth in all of those silent years in the carpentry business, the eldest son providing for his family, experiencing ordinary, quiet life. The scriptures don't fill in those years for his cousin John until... As our reading started, we hear, In those days, John the baptizer came. In those days, the emergence of John was like the sudden sounding of the voice of God. In those days, the people were painfully aware that there had been four centuries of silence from the prophetic voice. But in John, the voice of the prophet spoke once again, and the people, well, they came. But John, you see, was following the dangerous occupation of telling the truth to power. He was God's ambassador. And his twofold role as prophet was that he was a man with a message from God, and he was the man with the courage to deliver that message. And what, of course, was John's message? Well, Matthew records him as saying the same words as Jesus would later say himself. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And John, quoting from Isaiah 40, sees himself as that voice of one calling in the desert. John, like many, was longing for the restoration of God's kingdom and the fulfillment of God's promises. And now he was announcing their arrival in and through his cousin, Jesus of Nazareth. We can sense the challenge that John was presenting to the nation of Israel. Something like this. The long-awaited arrival of God's kingdom has come. It's going to involve the unleashing of God's Holy Spirit. Everyone needs to get ready by the repenting of their sins. And the outward sign of this will be baptism here under the waters of the River Jordan. As a result, many people, including tax collectors and soldiers, came the 15 miles down from Jerusalem to where John was baptizing. We, too, can hear the challenge, this call to repentance. It goes out to all people everywhere. We're called to turn away from the things that lead to death, but to embrace instead the life that belongs to God, God's life in us. In other words, to die to self and to receive his life, his fullness of life in its place. to enter into the deep waters of baptism and to emerge the other side as new creations, for that is what we are. And all this is made possible because someone came to the River Jordan for baptism who strictly didn't need it, but who would later go down into the waters of death and emerge out on the other side as the Lord of life with the result that we, when we now get baptized are joined to him in his death and can now share in his resurrection life all this is encapsulated here at jesus baptism at this tiny insignificant river the river jordan john's voice was the signal and the cue john has been described as the last of the old testament prophets The voice of John was awakening the people, the people of God, for the first time in their national history to their realization of their own sin and their crucial need of God for themselves. And never in all of their history had there been such a unique national movement of penitence and search for God. And this... This was the very moment that Jesus had been waiting for. John's voice was his cue to come from the ordinary life and in his baptism identify himself with the search of the people for God. He came to identify with and be with those who were searching for the Lord with all their heart. And his call was something like this, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. After me will come one more powerful than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Such teaching caused a stir. The crowds loved it, but the religious authorities were less than sure. And this is the contrast which the prophetic voice causes, Those who will weigh it and in humility set their hearts on pilgrimage and are strengthened by that word. And those who harden their hearts, letting them go astray from God, they never get to enter his rest. Are we willing to let God's voice through John be our signal and our cue, calling us back in 2022, to the heart of God with our own heart. How marvellous to think that today we have that possibility of letting go of all the things that lead to death and once again embracing the life which God has in store for you and for me. I'd like to wonder for just a moment, and I do mean wonder, at the River Jordan some suggest its name is derived from the Hebrew word to wander or to meander. And it's a fitting description for the last part of the river from Lake Galilee down to the Dead Sea. It meanders some extra 30 miles than it need to do so. Reaching the Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth, some 1,300 foot below sea level. You see the site of John's ministry in the Judean desert was a harsh environment, seemingly a place of death. But God was about to do a new thing, bringing hope and life in this place of death. And the waters there of the River Jordan are the lowest waters on planet Earth. John was inviting people down to the lowest place imaginable to be submerged in the waters. And Jesus himself went to that lowest of places. And for us, as we consider Jesus being called to be baptised down in the waters of the Jordan, we too are being called to consider the paradoxes of the Christian faith. Only the humble will be exalted. How in Christian baptism, as Paul will later teach in Romans 6, Only through dying, it's only through death to self that we can enter into the newness of life. Now, if like me, you haven't been to the Holy Land, I wonder how you picture the River Jordan. Nowadays, at the place most closely associated with the baptism of Jesus and and John's ministry there, it's not more than eight to ten meters across. And although in ancient times the river, the volume of water would have been greater than it is today, compared to many rivers in the world, this was no great river. It was comparatively tiny, insignificant. No wonder we read in in 2 Kings, in um, the Syrian army general Naaman, when Elisha said, "To, to cleanse yourself of this leprosy, go down and wash yourself seven times in the river Jordan. He was indignant, Naaman was indignant and rudely dismissive of this puny river. However, for Old Testament writers, this small river is remembered as far from insignificant. Of course, it was the river across which Joshua had led Israel into the land of promise. Twelve stones they had set taken from the dry riverbed and they'd set on the side to remember god's help in their national life you see for just as god had helped them flee from the slavery in egypt through the sea of reeds that place of potential death by allowing them to pass through on dry ground he again at the river jordan enabled the people of Israel, despite the fact it was springtime and the river was in full flow, to pass safely through on dry ground. And Israel's God would later do the same thing for Elisha as he took over from his predecessor Elijah. When Elijah was taken up in the chariots of fire to heaven, he had to take on Elijah's mantle and prayerfully take his cloak and step back across that river. Both as Elijah, Elijah took over from Elijah as prophet in Israel and as earlier, Joshua had taken over from Moses. Now the river Jordan, for both of them, was a significant rite of passage. This is where God first tested them in public and then where they received from God himself a clear authority and mandate for the future. So now for Jesus, at the start of his public teaching ministry, Jesus came to be baptized by John. It was Jesus' moment of taking over from John. And it was here that Jesus received from his father clear affirmation of his unique role in the deliverance of God's people through salvation at the cross. As Jesus came up from the waters of baptism, what did he hear? He heard the voice of his father saying, you are my son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. This was Jesus' divine mandate for his dramatic mission. And dramatic, indeed, it was. For just as Joshua had bravely entered the promised land and brought it under the rule of Yahweh, Israel's God, now this latter-day Joshua, for the name Jesus, is the Greek version of the name Joshua, which means God saves. He was bringing the whole world under the rule and reign of Yahweh. The kingdom of God was now about to spread to the whole earth. And it will begin here, in the low waters of the River Jordan. In Jesus, I want to bring out three things that we see here at his baptism. Matthew inserts that detail of John having a little argy-bargy with Jesus. So John says, well, if you're the one, surely you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, we do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was walking the obedient path. God had told him To do this. And even though Jesus himself did not need to get baptized because he had no sins to repent of, he was coming down to where sinners are in order to bring them up to where he is. So he saw it as necessary to go down in order to bring us up. It's a sign that Jesus is willing to identify with you and with me where we are, even at the lowest points in our life. He identifies with us, even though, of course, he has no need to repent. And this is the pattern that we will see that he shows us at the cross when he didn't need to die for his sins. It was us who needed to die for our sins. But he went to where we are in order to rescue us, that we can come up the other side into new life. So that one thing that we see in Jesus' baptism is his humility to identify even at cost with each one of us, sinful men and women, Praise be to God. Of course, the second thing we see is that clear revelation of the beautiful Holy Trinity God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all mentioned in our last two verses. It's a rich picture which Matthew paints. And of course, he will pick it up again at the end of his gospel when he links it once again with baptism. Jesus says, go and make disciples, passionate disciples. Now, that's not in the text, but that's what we say here. We're making, in the business of making passionate disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A fresh start that needs never be repeated. But the final thing I want to draw out is that beautiful divine affirmation of Jesus by the Father. God the Father uses words which his Son will recognize, which all the people will recognize, taking Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42 together and brings them together and says, This is my Son, whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. The Father's delight is written over his face and we can hear it in his voice. It's given to Jesus as he goes into ministry and he goes knowing that the Father is at his side and the Father loves him and is well pleased in him. He's done nothing. The Father loves the Son. And so empowered by the Spirit, and strengthened by the Spirit. He goes out into the desert, then into Galilee, into his ministry, and then on up to Jerusalem, to the cross, but strengthened in that divine affirmation of love. The one who identifies with us in our weakness, the one who is revealed as the Spirit-empowered Son of God, is also the one who gives us a model by which we can receive the Father's love today as well. And I believe that there is a crying need in the church, in the world, to hear the love of the Father. And our Christian gospel, as we start and enter 2022, is still the same, as we get joined to Christ by faith, when we go through the waters of baptism, through repenting and become a believer and become grafted into the vine as a follower, we are able to call ourselves a child of God. And we're invited to call God Abba, Father. And if that is true, then we too can also hear those same words from our Father to each one of us. You are my daughter, you are my son, who I love and in whom I am well pleased. God loves you because you are his child. He loves you because he loves you. Full stop. Amen.